<clears throat> Good morning, church. <laughs> May 1st, 5-1-2022. Who would have thunk it, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, that song is, uh, man, that's a gut check. Because the reality is, as a believer in Christ, as a true follower of Jesus Christ, we got to kind of clarify that nowadays, right? Because there's so many arbitrary, vague sayings and beliefs out there of what a Christian is. But a true follower of Jesus Christ, when you, uh, upon the moment of your conversion and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about water, that's cool too. We're commanded to, you know, if there's water, go do it, like the Ethiopian eunuch. But when you are converged from death to life, you have, I have everything we're ever going to need. But yet, even as Christians, we struggle, I struggle with that. I'm singing this song and I'm like, Lord, help my heart. <laughs> because I struggle with putting things in their proper place. This world is always tugging and prodding and, 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 and vying for our attention and our affection. It's hard to sing that song, to be honest, because it's so raw. We're, we're so off the mark. Many times Jesus isn't enough because we're over here chasing after this and that and this experience and that experience and this new gadget and this new thingamajigger or this new career or this new spouse. When it's all just, when it's all, hey, I'm just keeping it raw. You know, I don't fake the funk up here. I tell it like it is because this is what the Lord is showing me. And, and Lord willing, I can continue to do that. But what the whole point is, he needs to be enough. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, having things, but it's when those things have us, right? It's just a raw song. It, you know, <laughs> got a grip of me. Like, keep it in perspective. Amen. I'm excited for this morning uh, as we'll, we're going to continue on in the book of Revelation. And um, we're coming up to a pivotal point here in, in this book. We'll be in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 down through 19. I've entitled this message, or excuse me, the Bible itself has entitled this message, The Seventh Trumpet. So with that, uh, when you get there, once again, we're in Revelation chapter 11. We're going to be going through verses 15 down through 19. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And we'll go ahead and pray and uh, get blessed. <laughs> get blessed by the revelation that comes through his word alone. Okay, starting in verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the revelation of you in our lives. Thank you that you have torn the veil of the eyes of our hearts, we no longer are in darkness. Lord, we see your truth for what it is. We see your son, Jesus Christ, for who he is and how we desperately need him. May we gleam from your word this morning. May you help us to rightfully divide this word and apply it to our lives today. There's never a better time to 
get right with you and understand how pivotal a right relationship with you is. For we don't want to be on the wrong side of the ledger when your wrath comes upon this earth. So, Father, would you please speak to us now through your word? We love you. We praise you. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to die for us so we could be made right with you. We thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. It's just cool because like, right, the more and more you are given days to live, it seems like the more and more you get understanding of what's important and you get proper perspective. And praise God that he allows the Holy Spirit to minister to our spirit so that we're able to understand and rightly divide God's word. Truly, God's word is just so uh, it's just so great. It's living and active. Every time we read the scriptures, you can read the same scripture 5,000 times. And every time you read it, you're going to be at a different point in your life. And so you're going to get get the same principles, but you're going to see how it applies a little bit differently to you at that point in time in your life. And you'll just be blown away by the goodness and the greatness of, of our Lord. Amen. Well, last week we learned about the two witnesses that God brought. Fourth, during the great tribulation to witness to an unbelieving world. They were, they were given great authority for three and a half years. That's how long their ministry lasted. And they had uh, supernatural powers to rain down fire upon their enemies and even cause severe droughts to occur. But the single most important aspect of these two witnesses of their ministry was to preach repentance of sins. And that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and for people to turn back to the true Messiah. That was the the main point. And I think that's what we need to get out of this book. Because there's so much that people get caught up in about these signs and wonders and this and that and the judgments. And yes, that's all important. But the main thing is people need to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the true and living God. He is the only one to be worshipped and glorified. Amen. And that if we don't have a right relationship with him, we need to repent meaning have our minds turn back to him, change our minds and ask for his presence to be in our lives, for him to forgive us and for us to get right with him. That's the whole point. It's very interesting because this is what's going on in life today. It's either we're serving him or we're not. It's either we're walking with the Lord or we're walking away from him and we need to make a U-turn and get back in right standing with our Lord. Amen. Amen. You see... While these two witnesses were preaching and teaching repentance and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah in our context last week, many were tricked and duped by Satan. They didn't get it. They didn't take heed to uh, the, 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 the warning that was given. And we see that Satan was eventually granted access to kill these two witnesses. That's what happened. I mean, they were faithful. (laughs) They served. They taught, you know, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I think what we get from that is there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trials. There's no uh, that the out clause for you as a Christian is your soul is going to go to heaven forever. But that doesn't exempt us from any kind of uh, difficult, hard things going on in our lives. Actually, if you are a Christian, you will face persecution of some sort in your lifetime. It's inevitable. There's no way around it. It's a marker that shows that you are a true Christian. And even though us in America haven't necessarily experienced the kind of violent physical persecution that many of our brothers and sisters face uh, uh, across the globe, uh, doesn't mean that that's not going to come our way. And it, that doesn't mean that people aren't necessarily being pu- persecuted here in other ways, psychologically, emotionally. We see this all the time, especially in the last two years, just all kind of stuff going on uh, in our country here, uh, present day speaking. But after these three and a half days of these witnesses being dead, they were resurrected and called back home to heaven. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, After that, a great earthquake destroyed a tenth of the city of Jerusalem, and many were in great fear. And finally, the first time in the book of Revelation, we actually see people giving glory to God that we learned about this last week. All up until this point, 
I mean, man, people were getting wiped out all over the place and nobody was giving glory to God. They just kept on in their wicked ways. Now, we don't necessarily know if these people that gave glory to God ended up being saved and salvation came to them. But for this brief moment, uh, they gave glory to God in great fear. And this was the second woe that we learned about last week. Today, we will learn about the beginning of the seventh trumpet. Up to this point, the Lord has been as long suffering and patient with humanity as he possibly could be. He has been. He, he's, he's done all he could to possibly give enough time for people to repent. But there is a beginning and an ending to all things. It's just, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, right? Again, we've all been born of the flesh. It's been appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. All of us in this room are going to face a day when we're going to die physically, a beginning and an end. And in this context here, there's a beginning and an end to God's long suffering patience. And this is what we are going to enter into in our text this morning, the beginning of the end. All right. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. The authority of men. The authority of human beings, how we see leadership structured in the world, the world system, the world governments of this age, they will not last forever. We see in this opening statement or this opening verse, it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What does this mean? I mean, the Lord created the world. He created the heavens and the earth, right? Well, so then what does this mean? We know that he created everything, but we need to understand that earth, this place that we are, where we're sojourners as, as followers of Christ, right? We're foreigners. We're just here for a brief time. But this earth is in between two eternal places. It's in between heaven and hell. This is where it intersects. And, and what we do and the choices we make here on this earth in these fleshly bodies and how we live on this earth will determine whether or not we're going to spend our eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ or in eternal punishment and damnation in hell apart from him. But this is where heaven and hell intersect. The best things of life are but a glimpse of heaven. And I'm not talking about material things and all that. I'm talking about just the true joy that you experience as God reveals himself to you and you get a revelation, you get a glimpse of his goodness. The best things that happen in this life are just a glimpse. They're, a, they're, a, they're, they're just the tip of the iceberg of what heaven is going to be like. And the most heinous, wickedest, cruel, despicable, disgusting, vile things that go on on this earth. It's crazy how I can just elaborate on that because it's so vivid. That's just a glimpse of how damning hell will be. So you see, it's not a joke <laughs> living this life. We have to have the proper perspective. And since sin entered this world... It has now become occupied with sinful people and sin being in the hearts of men and women. Because of this, spiritual warfare now occurs upon this planet. You may not see it. It doesn't matter because it's not what you see. <laughs> but there are spiritual principalities that are at war every second of your heart beating. Right now, there's warring going on. In heavenly places, we fight against evil, wicked, spiritual principalities. And that's why prayer is so important. And our connection to Jesus Christ is so important. You know, I'm, I'm learning this more and more. I'm not saying I said it before and I'll say it again. I'm, it's not that there's a demon under every rock. But we have to understand a lot of the, 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 the stresses that we see, a lot of the wiling out that we see. Uh, you know, take my household, for example. For sure, my house is, is, is continually under spiritual attack. And I have to bind unclean spirits and I have to gear and rear my children in the ways of the Lord because I see it going on. When, there, when, there's, when there's no explanation for things being all good and all of a sudden hell breaks loose. 
in a relationship, in a marriage, between father and son or mother and daughter or mother and son and vice versa, you can't tell me that there's not a spiritual component to that. The enemy knows if he could disrupt your home, he's going to render you ineffective. If you allow Satan to creep in and cause a wedge between you and your spouse or you and your children, it doesn't matter what's gone on. If we don't humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and say, you know what, I forgive. You see, forgiveness is a choice. Loving someone with a long-suffering love is a choice. And if we don't do that, then the effects are going to be dire. And we see this going on. So these spiritual principalities are all around us. And I'm, I'm, I'm painting this illustration because I'm trying to make the point of what's going on with the world finally becoming the Lord's. Because one day it will all come to a final conclusion. And that conclusion is Jesus Christ will one day dethrone all false leaders, witnesses, and gods. I can rephrase that because the reality is he already has dethroned all of these people and all of these entities by going to the cross and resurrecting. But one day in real time, so to speak, he will put a capstone on his authority over all and silence any influence of power that anyone else has. Hence, this whole idea of these uh, kingdoms of the world or these leaders of the world will no longer be in power, but it will be his authority. It will be his kingdom that will be reigning. You see, it is very foolish for any person granted the responsibility of authority to think that he or she has placed themselves in that position. And unfortunately, we see that a lot. We see people in positions of authority abuse that responsibility and they think that their wit (laughs) or their might or their will or their affluence or their connections have placed them in those positions of authority. And that goes from parents all the way up to presidents. People who think that way are very foolish. For them to lead and govern in arrogance as if they are not accountable to someone greater than themselves. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 tells us, tells us, excuse me, speaking of the Lord, he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You see, it is the Lord alone who puts every leader in a position of authority. That's within your home. And that's within our government. That's within our local government. That's within your school board. If you go to public school or send your kids to public school, all these people in positions of authority are put there by the Lord. And it is the Lord God Almighty alone who will remove every person from any role of authority. This is what we are seeing proclaimed in our text this morning. The only true rightful king is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The second main point is this. I alluded to it a a few moments ago. But there are only two categories that people fall into. At the end of the day, uh, I'll use the phrase, in the final analysis of life, there's only two categories that individuals fall into. Those who worship Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and those who do not. Simply put, we were talking about this yesterday. The men, we got together and and had breakfast and, you know, a big theme came up where you can trace every problem back in any person's life to their worldview. It all comes down to your worldview. It truly does. If we don't have a worldview that is biblical in stating that God created the heavens and the earth, and you can be all messed up. You're going to be all messed up because you have no point of reference. Everything else is telling you all this other stuff. That I don't want to get into it, but the, you know, there's this is something that went on early on in the 1900s, and and and, and a handful of uh, you know German uh, physicians and doctors they basically came to the conclusion that 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 people are. Uh, there's no sex 
uh, meaning, you know, people that are male are not necessarily male and people that are women are not necessarily women. They can revert and they can they can become bisexual or whatever. And it's like, that's not that's not correct. But if you don't have the, the, the framework, if you don't have the foundation of God created in order and he created Adam and then he created Eve from the bone of Adam's side. Woman, man then you're going to have a hard time when you read the New York Times and you see that you're not going to be able to filter the information. You're going to be moved by that and you're going to question what's your existence? Who am I? And we see this now. We see droves of young children. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They're being inculcated saying you can be whatever you want to be. (laughs) Try everything. Don't tell these children, try everything. You can change your anatomy as much as you want, but you were created either a man or a woman. There, that, that's a line of demarcation that we can't budge on as the church because it's unbiblical to say that you could be whatever you want. You can't. You can't change what God made you. You can change it as much as you want and convince yourself, but that's just the sin of deception. And people that are straight fall into that too. So I'm not picking on people that are struggling with that specific kind of sin. But what I'm saying is the Bible is clear. And this all comes back to this whole point of there's only two categories we fall into. We either worship the Lord Jesus Christ as he is or we do not. You see, we see a great example of this in our text Uh, In verse 16, the 24 elders, they immediately fell down prostrate and began giving God praise and glory when they heard the loud voices proclaiming from heaven of the Lord's eternal reign. They wholeheartedly decided in their hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ deserves all praise and all glory. You see, and they had no problem submitting to his rule. This is extremely important in the life of any follower of Jesus Christ. You see, we must decide. This is where you and I have to engage. This is not this passive, oh, I'm just a Christian. Oh, I just go to a church service. Oh, I just own a Bible. It makes me so sick. There is an engaging that has to go on in your walk with the Lord. And if you don't want it, And if you don't put forth the God-given effort that he's given you and the hunger and the desire to know him, then you're going to have a lukewarm Christian experience. And you're not going to see things manifest themselves the way you see in the scripture. You're going to be like, my Christian life is boring. This isn't even real. But if you engage wholeheartedly with the Lord, (laughs) you're going to have some stories to tell. You're going to have some experiences that it's like, man, this is real. It's no joke. (laughs) <laughs> the good side and the bad side. You're going to see both extremes. You see, but we must decide in our minds that we will honor him with our lives and that nothing will deter us from that reality. You see, this is a spiritual discipline that we must develop. Again, Paul talked about it a lot. If God has an army and we're soldiers in God's army, what does that mean? That means that there has to be an aspect of our walk that has some discipline, God bless you, and has some militancy to it. I'm not talking about legalistic. I'm not talking about being a wacko and go getting droves of guns and go making a bunker somewhere and hiding out. I'm not talking about that. We've already seen people that have done that. And I'm not trying to speak bad on people. It just is what it is. We're not doing Waco, Texas here. But what I'm saying is there better be some kind of discipline in how we engage with the Lord. Again, these lines of demarcation that must be drawn. I mean, actually, they are already drawn. It's God's word. If you side with Jesus Christ, you have already picked a side and you don't have to draw a line. The line's already been drawn. Our thing is we need to be obedient to the word. If you look at, I do believe it's uh, Psalm chapter 19. There's a verse in there that talks about your joy, my joy comes from our obedience. You see, joy and obedience are tied Hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't have it on the side. You see, if we're not obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, then there goes our joy. 
And sometimes we wonder, well, wh- where's our joy? That's how you can look at someone who's going through stage four cancer or their child just got killed. And, and yes, they're mourning and grieving, but they have a joy unspeakable. Why? Because they have an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you have someone over here on the other side that's got all their limbs, that's super healthy, that's got money in the bank, that's got the picket, you know, the house with the picket fence, the, you know, the wife, the two and a half cars, whatever, a dog and a cat, a fish tank and a, and a, and a, and a hamster wheel. <laughs> and they're not happy. They don't got no joy. But they say they're a Christian. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. Well, what's wrong with that picture? They obviously aren't being obedient. You see, we can't, we can't base blessing of the Lord based on uh, material things solely. You can have all kind of material stuff and still not be blessed by the Lord. And you can have barely nothing. You're hanging on by a thread. You got, you're dealing with EBT and whatnot. And you got the joy unspeakable and you're super blessed. And vice versa. I'm not saying people with money aren't blessed. But it's a fallacy to think that just because it looks a certain way, that people are a certain way. Your joy will show. Your countenance will show of where you really are with the Lord. Amen? I mean, it's just real. You can like it, not like it. It's the reality. It's the reality. You see, there needs to be a fight in us to not compromise when it comes to our devotion to the Lord alone. People will either be hot or cold, God bless you, towards Jesus Christ. People will either be in or out. There is no in-between. On the fence is out. You either go hard for Christ or go home. That's what the world says. Go hard or go home. I mean, it's like that in the church too. Go hard or go home. I mean, we realize what's been done for us. We have no option. We better go hard. All the disciples talked about it. They said, that's why I'm a bond servant, because this is the least I could do. It's not that you're paying back the Lord, but you know that your, your life has been given a second chance. So it's like, how can I live for myself? How can I live for my own desires and my own fleshly ideas when the Lord has given his life that I may be saved? Amen. You see, but we know what God's word says about those who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, but are neither hot nor cold. Revelation chapter three, verse 16, talking about the church of Laodicea. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's only two camps that we fall into, saints. We either serve the Lord Jesus Christ wholeheartedly or we're deceiving ourselves. And that's the worst, when we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're actually serving the Lord when we're not even serving him at all. That is the worst. That's worse than someone who's flat out said, I don't even care, because at least they know where they stand in their lostness, in their depravity. But someone who's convinced themselves that they're serving Christ when they really haven't, they need to be woken up. The third main point is this, All destroyers of the earth will be destroyed themselves by the Lord. At this point in the book of Revelation, the the patience of God has run out. This is where we're at. His patience has has run out. It's not even that it ran, it's run thin. It's it's done. There's no more patience left for the Lord to, to, to endure with man and with women, with human beings. There are no more chances for those who have deliberately raised a clutched fist in the face of the Lord. Those who have decided in their hearts to live a lifestyle of rebellion against God and try to undermine the works of the saints, they will be destroyed. This is what will happen in the future, in the context of our scripture this morning. The seventh trumpet has blown. The third woe is here. There are no more chances and time has run out. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10 tells us, but the day of the Lord will come like what? Like a thief. And then heaven will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I mean, that's just a, that's a precious warning that we as followers of Jesus Christ need to, Redeem the days, redeem the time. You know, the breath that we have, we need to utilize it. Every second of it. That we are really doing the Lord's will. That we're honoring Him. That we're enjoying our families. That we're making our families aware 
of the truth of Jesus Christ, that we're raising our children or, or, or reaching out to our grown children and, and, and people in our family and people in our sphere of influence, because one day this will all burn up and it will all be done. It will all be done. And no one knows the time. And it doesn't really matter the time. Because if we're not living every day, every step for the Lord, then it doesn't matter if we would have took 50 million steps or 50 steps. It's all the same. It's all about our perspective. But if our perspective is right and our desire is to honor Him, then it doesn't matter long or short, we're going to be all good. Amen? All right, let's take a look at these verses now. So first, uh, Revelation Chapter 11, verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. All right, we see this first statement, the seventh angel sounded. The seventh seal, uh, if you remember, brought forth a profound silence. Remember Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, it said, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And we talked about that before. That would have been, or that's going to be extremely, um, it's going to be wild because all of the praise and worship that's ongoing, all the chatter and all the cheer uh, of the triumph of Jesus Christ in heaven, and then for there to be a silence, I think I said something like if I was up here and I likened it to me standing here for 10 minutes and saying nothing after I just said everything I said and just standing here. Because <laughs> we're like, what the heck is going on? And that's kind of the thing that was going on in this, in this uh, verse here about uh, this silence. Because it's like something heavy is about to happen and everyone's just in awe of what's going to go down. You see, the seventh trumpet indicates joy at the inevitable resolution of all things. This is what's going to happen. The, uh, people are understanding, the saints are understanding that. Everything is going to be corrected. Every wrong is going to be righted and the Lord will take his rightful place. You see, me, this is meaning that the Lord's final verdict will come to this world. And like I just said, all things will be made right. Jesus Christ will be made known to all believers and non-believers that he is the eternal true king of the universe and see this is that's the whole thing right i mean that should grieve your heart i know it grieves mine it's like could you imagine how horrible it must it will feel for someone who thought that jesus christ wasn't who he was and all of a sudden they it's revealed to them that he is the messiah I mean, we think of the Jews. This is why we pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters, because they're still in the dark about this. And praise God that, honestly, he allowed that, because we wouldn't even be able to be saved if it wasn't for the Jews being blinded. But, but just to think, uh, the people that are deceived, and then to find out, no, <laughs> you are who you say you are, and, and I haven't, haven't lived right by you at all. That's just a, that's just a sad situation. But you see, there can't be a more glorious proclamation than this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's a beautiful thing. He's taking over. He's taking back what is rightfully his. He's taking ownership of what was his. Mankind, we've abused it. We've misused it. We've mistreated it. And he's going to take it back. He's going to take it back. You see, in the ancient Greek grammar, the verb tense of have become indicates an absolute certainty about Jesus's coming and reign, even before the fact is accomplished. You see, Jesus Christ will take back once and for all everything and everyone that is rightfully his. Although Jesus does not return to earth at this time to establish his kingdom, or to establish his kingdom, both events are anticipated and will take place at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes to earth in glory, defeats his enemies, and casts the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire. He shall reign forever and ever. Well, some would ask the question, how, how can there be such joy when the king is not reigning completely yet? Well, think of it this way. Um, 
you know, when there's polls and, and, and you know, uh, people are, are, are voting for which, you know, uh, a politician is going to take what, whatever seat in office. When uh, think of like the headquarters where where the, these parties are at. Right. Um, on election night, there's joy in those election circles, because even though it'll be a while before this candidate takes office, they already know they already know who won. And so they're like, my guy won or my woman won. They're going to take office. They're going to they're going to be in you know, leadership of some capacity. This joy, it anticipates a certain result. And this is what's going on here in our context this morning. It's been said, it's already been put out there that Jesus Christ will take over the kingdoms of this world. So even though it's not happening in real time, we know that it's a fact that it will happen. The application is this. Today, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, understand your position in him. You see, you are victorious as a follower of Jesus Christ. You win, I win, because he has won. We, that has to be a reality deep down in, 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 in the core of who we are. We have to identify with ourselves as victorious in Jesus Christ. You see, he will reign forever. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. Though we fight a spiritual battle, we fight from the vantage point of victory. It's already been won. Everything has been defeated at the cross. You see, we have to live as though we are victorious, not a victim. Amen? Amen. I see too many, too often, and I've seen in my own life too often, myself as a victim. Why do we walk around mopey and droopy? We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us and cleansed us of every sin, past, present, and future. You have a guarantee that you will be with them in eternity forever. So why do we not walk in victory? We were talking about this uh, yesterday morning too. I'm a sports guy and... People will go to a Raider game and tailgate for three and a half hours before the Raider game. Got on the Raider gear. Got a Raider license plate. Got a Raider tattoo. Got Raider sunglasses on. You know, got Raider bubble gum. They got everything. And they're out there stunting, bragging. We don't say nothing about Jesus Christ. And we know the creator of the world. The savior of the world. And we're like, um, you know, I don't, I just, I don't know if I can witness to this person because I just, I don't want to offend them. Well, let me help you out. If you mention the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to offend all kind of people. As long as you talk about, oh yeah, the creator, oh, all the almighty, oh God. Yeah, everybody, the demons know God, but you start mentioning the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to ruffle all kind of feathers. You know, we as believers, we are victorious in Jesus Christ. We need to brag on him more. I mean, and, and we have to not take it personal. So what if someone rejects them? They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting him. What, what does the word say? If you've done your part, you've set the table, dust your feet and bounce. You're like, hey, man. I mean, hey, you don't got to be rude about it. But essentially, it's like, man, that's on your head. <laughs> that's on your hands. I've witnessed, I've shared the truth. I'll intercede for you, I'll pray for you. And I, I know we're all going through that with certain people. We have family members that they just, they not, they don't care. But we're still praying for them. But it's like every individual has to come to that point. But, but, but the whole point I'm trying to make is walk in victory. Know who you are in Christ. Know your identity in the Lord. A lot of times we're getting beat up because we don't know our identity in Jesus Christ. All these Whatever, all these unclean spirits, these demons that are trying to mess with us, you have victory over them in the name of Jesus Christ. You do, but you have to claim that. You have to know that in your heart of hearts that no authority or power can come against you in the name of Jesus Christ. If Jesus said that the powers of hell, the gates of hell can't come against the church, which we are the church, the iglesia, the called out ones. That's you. That's me. That means, yeah, you might get messed with, but you got to claim it. And it's not name and claim it, but in Jesus name, 
in his power, in his authority, in his might. No, I don't come into agreement with that. I bind that unclean thing in Jesus Christ's name and it won't have power over me. But if you don't claim it, if you don't know that this is a fact, that this is your right to be free because he died for all these sins, he died so you could be freed, then you're going to walk in bondage. You're going to be in bondage to things or circumstances or people or situations. And it doesn't have to be that way. You're free. You got to believe that you're free. I'm free from all kinds of stuff. Do I get messed with? Oh, sure, all the time. Do thoughts come all the time? I was worshiping this morning. Thoughts were coming. I had to rebuke the devil. I'm sitting up there with my hands raised and I'm rebuking the demons. It's true. But you're not bound. I'm not bound. Because a minute later, I'm like, hallelujah, praise God. I feel the presence of the Lord upon my life. And he got me ready to do what, what I need to do, what he needs to do through me. But that's for you as well. We have to know that. Please, church, know your position in Christ. Amen. Too many believers are getting beat up and they don't need to be. You see, we as Christians, we anticipate the rapture, but also Christ's earthly kingdom. When he rules the world, there will be no more crime, warfare, corruption, poverty, injustice, or blasphemy. Jesus will be king over all the earth, and he will reign during the millennium and forever and ever, even after that, with peace, justice, and righteousness. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 tells us, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will be will do this. I mean, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, the word of God is just I mean, all throughout Scripture. You see all these covenantal promises and, and, and man, it's like you got to get excited for that. Now I understand why some people and, that, and that's cool. Not everybody got to do it. But now I see why people that are not fanatical, but are believers, they jump up and down. They're screaming and praising the Lord because it's like, do you realize what you're inheriting? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it'll do something to you or make you break down and cry or make you something. But it's got to do something to you because this, this, is, this is just beyond our capacity to, to understand. But it's so great that the Lord is so good that he's promising these things to us. It should make you all the more have a desire to just want to serve him. It's like, Lord, man, just show me. Lord, what is the ministry you have for me? What am I supposed to be doing? Where, who am I supposed to be serving? Who, who am I supposed to be getting in, in touch with, rubbing elbows with? Let me do your work, Lord. Let me do your work because we all have a measure that the Lord has in, entrusted us with. And you don't want to be you don't want to be that servant. that He's going to come back. and He's going to be like, where's my talent? Uh, I knew you were a shrewd master. And so I just kind of buried it. What? You know, that has to do with our witness, right? That that context has to do with our witness. He's going to come back and he's going to be like, what did you do with my son? He's going to ask me, Keefing, what did you do with my son? He's not asking us to do something unreasonable, but he's asking us for a return on what he's given. What is the return that you are giving Jesus Christ? That's real. That should be something that like puts the reverent fear of God in you. Are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing for the Lord? Or are we just casually going along life, getting by, doing this Christian thing? All right. 16 and 18. It says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead will be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So we even see it right there. Even what I just talked about. If you are seeking the Lord and you're, and you're, you're being led to do the things that the Lord has called you to do. I mean, you have the promise that you're going to be rewarded. You're gonna, he's going to reward you as a servant. 
the prophets, the saints. You know that we're all saints if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a saint. He's talking about you right there. He's talking about me. And that's what I'm talking about. We have to understand who we are in Jesus and not allow the culture or these unclean spirits to be messing with us. You, 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 you fight from the vantage point of victory. You have the victory. You know everywhere you step your foot, the presence of God is with you, right? You could be by a whole bunch of unbelievers and it doesn't matter. You step foot <laughs> and, 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 and the presence of God is illuminated from your being. I think I told you guys this story. I was walking back to my car from work. This is like probably several months back. I, you know, a good friend of mine at church, I mean from church, uh, from work. And, you know, he was walking with some, uh, some young ladies and they were talking and he cursed. And, and he said, oh, my bad. Uh, I know you're a Christian. And I said, I'm not tripping, bro. <laughs> I didn't say nothing. But just my, the mere presence of God in my life already had that man saying, I'm sorry, why, why do you don't do that? The world don't do that amongst itself. Maybe if they're trying to date someone's daughter and they curse going to someone's house. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? The people don't do that. But th- that happened because the presence of the Holy Spirit convicted that man, my coworker. And he's like, oh, my bad, bro. <laughs> Thought I was going to say something or hit him with a scripture. I'm, I'm like, bro, I ain't tripping. You know, I'm like, that's on you, man. You need to get right with the Lord. You need to get that potty mouth cleaned up. It don't mean nothing to me. I ain't tripping. But you see, that's what I'm saying. Our position in Christ, you're going to be rewarded as a faithful servant, as a faithful saint. Those who fear the name. Today, do we fear the name of the Lord? Do we fear Jesus Christ? Meaning have a reverent fear, a reverent respect for who he is. And see, this is where we're introduced to the 24 elders again. As always, we find them falling on their faces, worshiping God. We have to understand this. So this is so important. This is something that kind of gets lost in a lot of uh, Western Christianity. But to lay prostrate before God is an ultimate sign of humility and submission. That's what it is. The application is this. This is a reminder to us that humility is vital to serving the Lord. You see, no one, you, not me, we can't serve the Lord without humility. It's also a reminder to us that God is always worthy of all praise and worship. It is never a one-time thing with him. But constantly, consistently, for all things, he alone is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. You see, this is such an important aspect of our walk with God. To give him the reverent respect, the honor, the praise that he deserves. To literally fall on our face before God. To submit to Him. You see, the Muslims do it. And I'm not saying be legalistic. And I'm not saying be on this regiment where it's like, oh yeah, you got to take a trek to Mecca. I'm not talking about that. Or you got to point a certain way, you know, certain direction. But what I'm saying is in your prayer closet, in your home, you know, I don't expect people to fall out here on their face. Hey, if the Lord calls you to do it, do it. I'm not going to judge you. It is what it is. But there should be... A level of humility on our part. And I understand, too, if you're physically not capable to be getting. I, I hurt my back earlier this week. But I found myself a day after I got on my knees and I hobbled back up all old. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's real because there's something about putting yourself in that position. It humbles you. It, it, it's, 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 it's a whole different thing standing up doing all this. But when you get on your face before God in your prayer closet. You can't fake that. You can't fake that. And, and, and the presence of God comes upon you in a, in a different way when you submit yourself. Trust me, I, my kids, you know, they're young and I get it, you know, but it's a, it's a jokey, fun, funny, fun thing. But when it gets serious, it's like it's a different tone and, and there's a different presence there. And as mature Christians, maturing Christians, We should be those that are able to do those things and experience God on those deeper levels. You know, it shouldn't be this. Well, you know, I just, you know, I don't want to do it or, you know, that's what I liked about. I like, you know, Spring Valley when, um, you know, was it the Wednesday night prayer, prayer groups, you know, with your dad, with uh, with Mark Mills. And, you know, we just be in that corner. Lou would be there, too. When he was there, we'd be in that corner. All these men 
just getting down on their knees man, in a circle. And that was just, that was super cool. That was just super cool, you know, because it's important. The posture that we have before the Lord. Because he elevates the humble, but he won't work through the pride. He won't work through prideful people. Submission is key. I like Charles Stanley. I love that man. This is one of his quotes that I've taken from him. If you want victory in your life, get as low as you can, as quick as you can. If that old man is saying that and he's doing it, ain't nobody got no excuse. (laughs) Get on your face for the Lord. You want to be blessed? You want to experience him on a deeper level? Get down before the Lord. Humble yourself. Next we see, we give you thanks. This Thanksgiving isn't to thank God that he has already done this, but that the hour has come for it to take place and that these things are permanently set into motion. Now comes the fitting time for judgment, reward, and destruction. This is where we're at in the book of Revelation. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. You see, God's punishment matches the crime. There is nothing arbitrary about it. The nations are angry with God and he responds with a righteous wrath. Those that destroy the earth are themselves destroyed. We must understand that unless we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we will all be hostile towards God. Those that are doing what they're doing against the Lord is because they're not regenerated. They have an unregenerated spirit. They have not been changed. They have not been convicted. They have not been pierced by who Jesus Christ is. And so they walk in darkness as we once did. Just keep it real, right? I was a fool. (laughs) I was a fool. And then my eyes of my heart were open and I'm no longer a fool. But we were fools when once before. But praise God, we are no longer those people. Amen. It says. We will uh, we will be angry with God. Speaking of those who are unregenerated, they're going to be angry with the Lord. This is a fact. Revealing that those who are angry at God are not saved. Romans chapter 7 verses 7 and 8 tells us clearly for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you see, so it's, it's absolutely, it's impossible to please God apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus Christ is so central. And then unfortunately, we see some Christian circles where they're trying to work to earn God's favor, and it doesn't work. He don't care about our works. He says they're a menstruated rag. I'm sorry for being graphic. It is what it is. That's what the Bible says. It's a filthy rag. He doesn't care about the works. The works are an outpouring of a changed heart. But we're not saved by works. We're not made right by works. But works should accompany us because those are markers and indicators that we have been regenerated, that we have been changed. But our our saving comes from the blood of Jesus Christ alone. His finished work on the cross is what saves this church attendance ain't going to save you. This non-denominal church ain't going to save you. The giving that you give ain't going to save you. The good deeds you and I do ain't going to save you. It's only Jesus Christ who saves you. And if you cling to that, man, you're great. You could run out. We were talking about this yesterday, too. You can have the worst of circumstances and still have joy. Because you know where your help comes from. See, those who don't have joy, they don't know where their help comes from. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mocking that because it's, it's a sad situation when people are struggling with their joy. But, but hopefully you're learning here or learning in your home with, with, with the people you live with through the word of God that your, your, your help and your joy comes from him. Look to him to give you that joy, to give you that peace. And no matter what your circumstances are, you're not going to be too bothered. Yeah, you, you, there's going to be some level of stress and, you know, a little, some anxiety. But, you know, you can quell all that with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You truly can. You truly can. It can be done. But again, it has to go. It goes back to our thinking. If we think it can't be done, then it's not going to be done. But if we, we align ourselves with the truth, we know the truth. We identify with the truth. We set it forth by setting our, 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 our desires at the foot of the cross. 
in the Lord's time, he will deliver. Amen? He will. The, uh, excuse me. The nations were angry. The nations are angry because God comes to rule. This world wants anything but the reign of God. As it says in the parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. They, they didn't want it. <laughs> they, they, they didn't want to be ruled by God. They, yeah, they, they thought he wasn't the Messiah. But even if they thought he was the Messiah, they don't want it. That's why, that's why humans make up a God of their own understanding. Because they don't want to worship. We don't want to worship in, in, in our defective state, in our sinful state. We don't want to worship God as he is. Just read Romans. It tells you all about it. An example of this. In the last two years, we are seeing an effort to achieve a great reset ushered in by ungodly people promoted by the World Economic Forum. This is a group that meets annually in Davos, Switzerland. The World Economic Forum has effectively mentioned and trained leaders from Argentina, Canada, and France. What's their goal? To make every government leader buy into their ideology in exchange for power. These leaders see themselves as kings and kings making markers, uh, making more kings in the nations. Excuse me. Their ultimate goal is power at all costs. They realize that they must break something before you can fix it. So their goals are to break small businesses, create a mask mandate to control the population, to have punitive actions against citizens, to lock down businesses and schools, to allow violence in our cities, to defund the police. We need police. We need police. You want to defund the police? You're going to have all kind of more chaos going on in the streets. We need police. We can go, you know, we can go apples for apples and people talking about there's good cops, bad cops. There's good, there's good and bad people everywhere. We need police. They, they incur, they're encouraging lawlessness. They're trying to control education and, and infiltrate our educational system even more with sexual identification issues. Opening the borders to reshape the voting preferences amongst the population to one party. I'm not getting political here. I'm just stating facts. That's why I didn't say the D word. Create dependence upon government. Shut down your bank account if you get out of line. Allow high gas prices to force citizens to go green. Allow infiltration to make citizens more dependent upon government. If you can work, work. Do not collect money from the government if you are able-bodied and you can work. I understand people that have certain circumstances. By all means, that's what those uh, systems are set up for. But if, if we're abusing the government just so we don't have to work, that's not good. The Bible talks about it, man. I got I to gotta, I gotta earn my keep by the sweat of my brow. It ain't easy working with special needs people, having to, you know, pull up, you know, diapers and changing people and big dudes and having to have them wash their hands. I got to work like everybody else. I can't I just can't collect the easy peasy. It doesn't work like that. But they're trying to make people dependent upon the government. They're, again, creating sexual confusion and and an attack on human identity an embrace of Marxism ideology through groups like Black Lives Matter. I'm 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 a, I'm an African American male here, and I stand and say I don't agree with I don't agree with the core principles of Black Lives Matter and what they stand on. Every life matters. Amen. They're creating racial conflict and division in cities that cause fear amongst people. They're promoting abortion even to the end of a woman's term. How do you even do that? What you're gonna cut the belly open? That's crazy. Create a globalist initiative to control the population. You'll see where I'm going with this. I'm not done. All this is happening right now under our very noses. This is real time. This is not 20 years into the future. This is right now. These, 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 these men who are degenerated are trying to control the world. 
Though all this can be overwhelming, again, understand your position in Christ. If, if you got full of fear and dread by me reading that, you're, you need to grow in your faith. You should not be moved by the things that I just read. You see, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're able to filter through that information and understand, though that may be true, where do you fight from? You fight from a vantage point of victory. These people are just puppets in Satan's plan. They are not in control. These groups are part of the nations that rage against God. But in the end, what did the scripture say? The scripture just told us, but in the end, they are overcome by the Lord God Almighty. Today, we can do our part by praying against these ungodly forces and simply live in obedience to what the Lord has called you and I to do. Honor him with our lives and tell all we see that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That he loves them and desires a genuine relationship with them. Amen? Amen. We have one more verse and I'll be done. Verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, and earth peals, excuse me, peals of earthquake. Yeah, I didn't see that R. <laughs> and heavy hail. The Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple. The Ark refers to God's throne, the place where God has previously mentioned the resolution will come from. It is called the Ark of His Covenant. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, excuse me, this was the earthly representation of God's throne to emphasize God's faithfulness. John was able to look into the temple in heaven. There he saw the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is basically the Holy of Holies. It indicates God's presence. The application is this. We cannot enter into the presence of God without the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. The opening of the temple reveals the glory of God. You see, people will see God's glory. God will manifest himself fully. But we have to be submissive and we have to have received redemption in salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. You see, the glory of God will explode upon men. Men will see this in his judgments. And again, it says there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. Atmospheric disturbances result from the opening of the temple in heaven. All this signal judgment. God has no option at this point but to judge mankind. John will resume the introduction of the seventh trumpet in chapter 16 when he will give all the full details. The great and awesome phenomenon that we see at the opening of the temple and the revelation of the ark show that the presence of the Lord is there. It is a reminder of God's manifested presence at Mount Sinai. And I'll read this, uh, these last few verses as we uh, close this, uh, this service. Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 down through 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stance at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a killing, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The application is this. Jesus will come one day to take over the governments of the world. He will take the reins of the earth. He will finally declare himself to be the king of the world. You see, today we live in the day of the hushed heaven. God is not presently asserting his rights to the world in the absolute sense. He does not judge mankind according to his arbitrations or what he has done there will come a day when that will end. 
at the present day, we are strangers here. Psalm 119, chapter 19 tells us, I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Our citizenship is in heaven. We know about that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 tells us, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Michelle and Isaiah come up. You see, we are not in step with this world. We march to the beat of a different drummer, the drumbeat of heaven. We do not buy into this world's ideas or values. They live for themselves, but we live for God as believers in Christ. Today, people are up to bat, but there will be a day when all that will cease. Man's day will come to an end and God's day will begin. One day, God's forecasting clock will strike suddenly and surely like a thief in the night. Only God knows that time. He will rule in one universal government over this whole world. In the millennium, God assumes complete control over this world. He finally takes what is rightfully his. No wonder why those elders fell down and worshiped God. When we, as believers in Christ, recognize God's sovereign working in the world and in our lives, it instills worship in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you are victorious. Lord, you have victory over all. It's not even a match. It's not even a fight. It's a fight for us because we live in these physical shells. But for you, you've... You dominate, Lord, and, and you dominate with love. You dominate in a way that you gave your only son to save fallen mankind. You, you didn't send your son as a warrior, but he will come back as one. Father, we thank you that the victory is ours and we don't have to fear. We don't have to live our lives hiding, ducking, scared. We can be courageous knowing that that same courage that sent Jesus to the cross, that same long-suffering that sent Him to the cross has redeemed us and so that we can stand boldly now as we live on this planet and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ without wavering, without beating an eye, but truly just living for You. Father, may that be so. Will You make us strong? Will You make us soldiers in Your army? And may we never relinquish the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his wonderful name. Amen.